0: Hello and welcome to Our Three Cents, a podcast celebrating the very finest video games. My name is Jonathan Dunn and I'm joined by my childhood friend, Christal. A pair of pretty pauper's headphones. And my adulthood friend, Minty Booth.
1: The human mind.
0: And we're discussing our all-time top 100 video games. Yeah, boy. This week, we have our number 54s. <laughs> <Ooh>.
1: <laughs> this is jaunty.
0: This week, we have our number 54s. But before we do that, it is time to return to the quiz. Okay, fair enough. Chris has carefully cultivated a three-point lead once again. So let's see if he can extend that or if Minty can uh, pick up his dragging heels.
1: I'm coming for you, Chris. My cheeks are ballooning in the wind.
0: (laughs) 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 What name was given to the PlayStation 2 CPU? The Emotion Engine. Oh, that is correct. That is a tough question. And only a <laughs> savant like Chris <laughs> would get that.
1: Yeah. Give us a question about Mario next week. <laughs> they talked up the
2: PlayStation 2 having all this magical power, but it was, it's literally just a processor. But uh, that was the time when they were claiming it was going to pump out like Pixar-level animation and graphics from the, from the PlayStation 2, which was uh, not... The case. Well done, Chris. 2420. Oh yes. What have we been playing this week? Chris? You know I love physical games for, for the shelf. Oh yes. I thought you just were saying you like a bit of rough and tumble. <laughs> Who doesn't? <laughs> but slap and dash. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so I, I recently imported a release that was exclusive to Asia, which was like a box that contains the first three Dragon Quest games for the Switch. And eagle-eared listeners will remember I talked about Dragon Quest being my 82nd favorite video game. And it was basically the genesis of JRPGs. And I was quite keen to play it again, as well as try like the second and third game, which I'd never, never given a go yet. And I mean, oh boy, the, the games themselves hold up, but the art style has been butchered to the point where it's very hard to play. And, and that's saying something for like quite simplistic games. Like it, it's a collection from Square Enix. And whereas when they did the collection of Mana release, they just presented the games as is and and they looked fine and they were fun to play and whatever else. These have been remastered in a really odd way that it's like the overworlds, like the map screens and everything look like they've basically been taken from the the NES games, but blown up at a way that the the pixels aren't scaled consistently. So they're all slightly blurry. They're they're slightly like warped. It's just really smeary and skewed. The player characters look like they're taken then from the SNES remakes, which came out obviously years later. So they, they kind of clash with the background art and then the, the battle animations where you where you fight enemies, it goes into kind of like a pseudo first-person thing. They're, they've basically taken the original pixel art and just vectorized over the top of them. So again, they, they have none of the character of the original. It's just a really, really ugly package. And it's, it's frustrating because I think the, the games are still good. And if you've never played a Dragon Quest game from that era, this is certainly a way to do it. But I'd seriously suggest like anyone who was interested in, in picking up the ports on the Switch, look at some footage first before diving in because if i hadn't already enjoyed the game and kind of knew what what they were that would have put me off immediately because it is really fucking ugly <laughs> really really bad and i think it's a real missed opportunity to, to kind of modernize it enough to make it accessible again with, without you know doing all this shit on top oh my
0: well i'm sorry to hear that you have an ugly package hey! oh, yeah on a scale of Sega Mega Drive collection to Mark Wahlberg, how ugly is the package? Oh, I I think it Oh jeez. I'm trying
2: <laughs> I'm trying to think where this is gonna place. I, I think it's somewhere in the middle between Marky Mark Wahlberg and uh and the Mega Drive collection. Okay, so not as truly abominable as uh, Sega bid. Yeah, somewhere in the middle.
0: Well so I tell you what I've been playing in this last week. Yes, go on then. So I had Star Wars Fallen Jedi waiting to be played. I picked it up on the same day as I got Pokemon Sword. And my 80 hours that I've put in Pokemon Sword indicates that I did not place Star Wars Jedi Fallen, Fallen Jedi, what was it? fallen order. Jedi law and order. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hmm. you can tell already that I didn't hold it in quite the same sort of regard as Pokemon, and I, I I put about ten hours into it before trading it in. It's it's fine, but I mean, for a start, the writing is atrocious, and the main character is so deeply unlikable. He's just a real smug, arrogant bellend, to be honest. And the games that it's kind of riffing on it, like, it really wants to be kind of Souls-like with the action-adventure mechanics of, say, Uncharted or Tomb Raider, and it's just, I mean, nowhere near as good as any of those games, and given the fact that I really wasn't getting gripped by the story or the characters and then the gameplay didn't even grip me, it wasn't even that fun to play I just thought, I'm not going to bother not going to bother, so I traded that in and then decided as a birthday treat to myself to give the day to getting back into Dark Souls and booted up Dark Souls 3 and gave that a proper good six hour session to really get myself back into it and i'm having a fantastic time i love being back
2: in a dark souls game are you properly underway with it now is it is that kind of the game you are playing right now
0: yes yes that is the
2: my active game yes but in between
0: games and in between working i've discovered a potentially dangerous game that is incredibly addictive it is the freemium game on iPhone, I'm playing it on iPad, Merge Dragons. Merge Dragons. Now, if anybody has played a freemium game that has ads in it, you will have seen an ad for Merge Dragons, and it is essentially, I mean, it's, it's pretty much an idle game. I guess so, yes. How would you describe it, Minty? Because I'm not wrong in assuming that uh, this has probably dominated your playtime in the last week as well.
1: Well, not not, not to the extent that you have been playing it, because I only got it yesterday. But yeah, it's it's not quite an idle game, but it's one of those ones that's dictated by how many lives you have to play levels. But for me, the interesting thing is it has a story mode where you have to merge three plants to make a bush, merge three bushes to make a tree, and then tap the tree to get heart fruits. Which you can then use to heal the land, so that you can free up more squares to grow more bushes, which you would then merge into more trees, etc., etc. That falls completely to the wayside because of your your camp, mm. which is just, I guess, like a, a sandbox version, which is just a field that you make bigger. The more dragons you get, the more fruit they harvest the more bones they collect
0: yeah and just slowly collect and merge and collect and merge
1: yeah yeah
0: my wife sammy she she got me into it and the two of us would just very happily just sit next to each other in bed in the morning just playing it Mm. for an hour we're not even like listening (laughs) to a podcast or anything just just playing yeah very therapeutic and and i don't Feel the same pressure and stress that I've had with other freemium games. Me and Sammy decided that we were going to chuck a couple of quid in each, just as a way of saying thank you to the developer because we were really enjoying it. And I decided to chuck a a few extra quid in just to try and catch myself up with Sammy a little bit. And since then, I haven't haven't put anything else into it, and I don't feel the need to. And like the lives that regenerate to play the levels uh, just sort of happen. I forget about them. To be honest, like Minty said, like the open world sort of free area at the camp is kind of takes up most of the time and then I'll d- dive in and do a few levels and get some dragons. It's just, yeah, it's just really nice.
1: Hmm. Speaking of uh, saying thank you to the developers or honouring the work that they've put in, the game or the games that I've been playing most recently, I've just come back from the United States visiting my wife and her family. We decided to capitalise on the time together by also sitting in bed and playing games on our phones next to each other. (laughs) You may remember that we played through all the free Rusty Lake games, Cube Escape, Cube Escape Birthday, Cube Escape... Box, Christmas, Christmas, all that nonsense. Easter, Diwali. Yeah, yeah.
0: That was a highlight.
1: Whoa, that's good. Thank you. Yeah. We initially decided that we would each buy a couple of their premium Rusty Lake games. Lovely. But Muggins here ended up buying them all because I am the one with the iPad. But money well spent because we had a great time. It, it was really nice to see how far that this 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 mythos this uh, this universe that they've created could go. With a couple of simoleons behind it. Sure, yes. It mm. was The Cube Escape games are great. You don't have to spend a penny on them, apart from one where you can unlock an extra chapter for like 99p. These ones, worth every penny. They're great. They're bringing out a new one called The White Door in... Ah. Well, they might have already brought it out, but I think it was due to come out next January. So watch this space for my opinions on that game.
0: I look forward to it. Lovely. Lovely. Speaking of mobile games, I'll be honest, my interest in the Apple Arcade has really run dry. I've sampled all the games that interest me and I've stuck with... A couple of them, which I've mentioned, like Grindstone, What the Golf. Mm. They're just not bringing out enough new stuff. They're not adding enough new stuff into it that is interesting me at all, to be honest. So, yeah, it's just a bit bit disappointing. I'm still ha- happily playing Mario Kart Tour. Not quite as much as I was, but still putting in the time. Chris, are there any, any Apple Arcade games that you're playing that you'd recommend
2: I did play something the other day, and I can't recall what it was called. Must have been good. It wasn't that Mm -hmm. great. It it followed a very similar format. If if you've seen the game Minute on the Switch or any other platform, which which is kind of like a top-down sort of Zelda-like game where you have a minute to do something, and then the world kind of resets, so you you gain more knowledge and information and stuff, and certain bits are pervasive. That's really good. I really like Minute. That's a good game. And whatever this game on Apple Arcade is called that I... Do Not Know off the top of my head, which shows how much of an impact it had. It's a sort of 2D platform game, which basically follows that format. So you you need to get to checkpoints to allow you to then start from that point onwards. But each time you have a limited amount of time before you're essentially warped backwards again. And I I played it for like an hour and it it didn't feel as polished as I think it could have. And obviously it was so forgettable that I I literally have forgotten the name. So let's just call it uh, (laughs) Johnny Jumpers Two Minute Challenge. There was, it was something called Jumper John. Was it? There's a game called Jumper John. If that's it, uh, that that's a really weird way of brains working because I I have nothing to go on. Let me see if this is the one I actually have played. Uh, yes, it is Jumper John. Jumper <laughs> J- John well Thirty Second Adventure. So yes, yeah, uh, don't bother with it. <laughs> it's my it's my uh, <laughs> my review.
0: Great. I'll probably I'll give it until the end of the year, and if nothing else interesting has come out, I'll probably let my subscription to Apple Arcade lapse. Ooh. Ooh, we shall see, we shall see. In the meantime, shall we see what our 54th favourite video games are? Yes, please. Starting this week, we have Mini. So, last
1: <laughs> week I spoke about quite a, a wintry game, or a game that lent itself well to being played in the winter. Unfortunately, lost the trappings of no backwards compatibility and my unwillingness to get a computer that can run a decent GameCube emulator along with being uh, one of the first games that made me realise that writing is really important in games too. This week, we have the summary version.
0: That was a pretty good summary as it
1: was. Yes, yes. A nice sort of summary game, which uh, is, is not quite up there with Fire Emblem's writing. It was a great example of this franchise's efforts to make a game where the story wouldn't fit on the back of a playing card. Ah, uh. You play as a fugitive who is falsely accused of destroying many cultural landmarks and you have to find out who framed you in order to exonerate yourself as well as bring down an evil syndicate to rescue this besieged town once and for all. Super Mario Sunshine built on a strong precedent of high quality 3D platforming established by Super Mario 64, adding in new movement mechanics with that big old Super Soaker backpack that we all know and love. Oh, yeah. Really lovely dynamic worlds that change depending on which Shine sprite you had to collect next. The Shine sprites being this game's version of the Power Stars which was Super Mario 64's version of the gate in Super Mario World that denoted that you'd finished a level, which was Super Mario World's version of the flagpole from Super Mario Brothers. And in between those you had the uh, oh <laughs> you had the playing cards, which you could collect at the end of each level in Super Mario Brothers 3.
0: And in Super Mario Brothers 2, there were turnips.
1: I thought I missed the uh, the, the kind of sandboxy nature of Super Mario 64's levels and lamented you being railroaded into collecting what the game wanted you to collect this time round. But it gave the game a really great sense of liveliness that transcended just being popped into a great big field like we had in Super Mario 64 the, every level changed like one uh, one level would uh, be nighttime depending on which shine you were collecting one was set in a hotel oh yeah but depending on uh, which which one you wanted to collect you either had to make the hotel appear from under the mound of magic gunk in the next level let's say you had to go through all of the uh, all the air ducts to get the shine sprite that was located i think in the shower Probably. Behind a locked door in somebody else's room. Sounds about right. <laughs> and then the next one after that would have you not going up to the hotel rooms, but going to the casino, which was then another whole little level in itself. Every level was just stuffed. It was just really lovely to think, oh, what's going to happen next? I'm going to have to clean this eel's big teeth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm going to have to pr- practice cleaning the eel's big teeth by... Shrinking down really small and collecting red coins in a bottle. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So levels were great. Or I should say the levels that you had your big backpack full of water for. Because it also had what I think is the predecessor to Super Mario 3D land and world. By having just straight up Mario's physicality-centric platforming levels in those ones where shadow mario got rid of your backpack and you just have to rely on your jumps and they weren't bound by the uh, by the topology of the levels it was just a load of blocks suspended in space you have to jump from one to the other oh what this one might be sand so it disappears before you can jump off of it whoops that added a little bit of peril there might be a spinning platform that you have to navigate in a timely manner To Mm. stop yourself from falling into the great abyss. Yeah, a fully rotating cube. Fully rotating cube in three dimensions, because this was the GameCube.
0: Those levels are some of my favourite pieces of video game design.
1: They really are. They're fantastic. Everything you could want from a 3D Mario game. Although, it does have something that you probably don't want as well. Massive watermelons. No, no. Voice acting. Hated it.
0: Oh yeah. Although, it was the introduction of Toadsworth. And Toadsworth was great.
1: Yeah, could have done without his voice acting. But (laughs) when you sprayed him with the flood, when he goes, yeah, blah, 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 blah. Pure poetry. If that was the only thing that any character said in that game, it would have been heaps better.
2: Super Mario Sunshine is the only 3D Mario game I've basically not played. Oh, really? I didn't have a GameCube, but I think I'd love it. I think I'd really love
0: it. I will always be rooting for a Super Mario Sunshine remake yeah, till my dying day or until I get one, whichever comes
2: first. It's one of those games similar now to like the the Metroid Prime trilogy that I'm I'm kind of torn between saying, okay, I could get a disc and I could play it on the Wii or or I could do whatever to actually experience this stuff. But I'm pretty sure as soon as I put the money into doing that, it will get an announcement that it's going to be remastered. Because both of them have had rumours about them for a while now. And obviously like, I have a lot of other games to play but they're both games that I really would like to play properly and I don't want to sell myself short if they're going to then appear on the Switch in six months. So it's, it's a bit of a balancing act.
0: Well, maybe one day. One day. As for now, let's move on to my 54th favourite video game of all time. Go on Lynn Jonathan Dunn. This game is an absolute gaming all-time landmark. It was the pinnacle of first-person gaming at the time and a genuine... Game changer. It's (laughs) Half-Life. I
2: thought you were going to say Facebook 2000.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So my experience with uh, the game, Half-Life, started the way that most PC gaming experiences did, similar to what Minty said last week. It was a demo that I got on the front of a magazine. Ah. And the demo for Half-Life had the opening scenario of the game. And initially, I was just totally thrilled and overwhelmed that my computer could handle a game like this it was so sharp and so fast and that was not something i was used to from 3d gaming on my computer i absolutely loved the sort of the first bit of the game the almost like the, the the prologue great establishment of uh, the world and a story you're morgan freeman <laughs> a scientist at the back <laughs> Oh, that's good. (laughs) Sorry, you're Gordon Freeman, a scientist at the Black Mesa Research Facility, when everything absolutely goes to hell, not in the way that Doom does, not literally, but a portal opens to another dimension, and it's... I mean, dreadful things. And because you spent what felt like a good half hour of the opening of the game just travelling deep into this facility, when this calamity happens, you're suddenly very aware... Of exactly how far you need to go to get back out, and that was—it was just a brilliant establishment of a of a setup and a scenario. However, for me, when the action started to pick up, so did my anxiety, and I could not handle the pace or the pressure. Fortunately for me, on the demo, there was also another feature included, which was essentially a standalone tutorial Tra- training the training area. Yeah.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: And in this, you were walked and run through all of the different movement mechanics, weapon mechanics. And I just had an absolute whale of a time playing this over and over again. There was no threat. It was just simply moving in a 3D space in first person. And that was just incredibly thrilling to do at that time in gaming and in my life, to be honest. (laughs) It did take me quite a long time to actually return to the game and play it properly. I'm not entirely sure when it was actually but my nerves had certainly steeled themselves a bit more by then and uh, when I did actually play the game I had an equally large whale of a time with the full game something you spoke about a little bit last week Chris when you're talking about Metal Gear Solid and talking about having these filmic moments in a game yeah. and whilst like a lot of games like those obviously establish these filmic kind of moments in these cutscenes and everything for me I, I just really love it when like a cinematic moment happens totally organically within the action and you were saying about how in those sort of hours of cutscenes and voice acting and all of that stuff you can really feel like the direction of Hideo Kojima sort of behind it and whilst yeah this does create obviously a, a cinematic experience as you said for me when that happens when you're not fully interacting with it it, it totally kills the pacing of a game for me. Yeah. Uh, it's why I never got on with like Bioware games. I, I'd have like a really good time, and then I'd be stood still for half an hour. <laughs> and it's just, oh, just too much stopping, too much talking. But Half-Life, it, it doesn't do that. It, it doesn't need a cutscene to establish a certain moment. It doesn't need to hold your hand to sort of maintain the pacing. It just sort of seems to happen naturally and organically. And I mean, it gave you the sensation then that you were directing the game yourself. I mean, some of the action set pieces that you get to play through are just uh, thrilling. Like, you're darting between crates trying to, like, snipe off enemy marines or avoiding lunging and... lunching (laughs) headcrabs flinging themselves at you. Uh, And when you're in, like, this alternate dimension and you're taking down this, like, Lovecraftian tentacled calamity and I mean it was all just really thrilling to play and the way that the action rose in time with the music it just like I said it, it felt like you were directing your own action film uh, and I just I love that and I think it's um, yeah a brilliant way of, uh, of creating those moments now bear with me through this next comment, but Half-Life kind of reminds me of Toy Story. Right, here we go. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't think that any of the uh, the Vortigaunts have the swirly bum chin of Buzz Lightyear. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but when Pixar released Toy Story, people were marvelling at the technical achievement of creating the first feature length computer animated movie. But the thing that really stood out was what they'd actually created within that technical achievement. I mean, the film would not have been a success if they just CGI'd 80 minutes of Mrs. Brown's Boys. You know, it was... It was a, <laughs> you know, it was the story and the characters that featured within that that, you know, made it what it was. And likewise here, Valve's technical achievement with this game was such a step forward for the industry, but that wouldn't have counted for anything if the game wasn't so, you know, flipping well made and if it wasn't so fun to play and if people weren't so taken with this silent protagonist and this world and this story but like genuinely looking at Half-Life's catalogue of influences ranges from gaming ancestors obviously such as Doom and Quake to influences from literature and like Stephen King and H.P. Lovecraft and then there are like elements of movies in there like Die Hard and Evil Dead and I mean like Valve combined so many brilliant elements together to create their own original work that I mean, it stands shoulder to shoulder with those other pillars of their respective media. And, you know, like I said, it became, for a very, very long time, that was the benchmark. You know, a first-person shooter, is this the new Half-Life? No, for most games, (laughs) is the answer to that question. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's mad to think that the game's like wendy one years old i I mean i still think that it's an incredibly fun game to play having said that there was a full fan remake of the game that was it was actually commercially released a few years ago it's called black mesa and it's made on the obviously on the source engine with all of the assets from half-life 2 and it looks phenomenal but it didn't need next-gen graphics of half-life 2 for it to be just a phenomenal gaming experience Although I would quite like to play it, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. When I was writing these notes earlier, I, I did log on to Steam to see how much it was to see if whether or not I I could buy it and have a little play of it. But instead, I, I paid £3.74 for Euro Truck Simulator 2.
2: An absolute bargain. You've made the right call. We'll find out.
0: <laughs> Half-Life, landmark in gaming, absolutely stellar, great fun, brilliant.
1: Yeah, the only part of Half-Life that I've played was the, the Black Mesa training centre. Yeah. It was great.
0: Yeah, really, really was.
1: <laughs> I was in the same boat, terrified of the main game, but shooting the targets, um, taking a crowbar to a box.
0: Oh, so satisfying.
1: Asking a scientist to follow me.
0: Yeah. I mean, that game really did a lot for crowbars, didn't it? It did, yeah. Mm. yeah. So finally, we have Mr. Dow. Chris, can you please tell us what your 54th favourite
2: video game is? I can. My 54th favourite video game is Sega's arcade classic Outrun. Oh, you love OutRun. I do love OutRun. <laughs> I mean, I, I first played OutRun on the Sega Saturn compilation disc, Sega Ages. Did you have that with your console?
0: I didn't have it, no, but I remember I remember seeing it. And then I remember the light bulb moment I had when I realized that Ages is Sega spelt backwards.
2: <laughs> That's good. So the, the Sega Ages disc bundled together, OutRun. Uh, with Space Harrier and Afterburner 2, so all kind of uh, mid to late 80s arcade games. And at the time, when I was a kid, when I first got my Saturn, I preferred Afterburner because it felt more action-packed, it was more immediate, whereas in contrast, Outrun was a bit more constrained, a bit more leisurely. And then Space Harrier is the third entry on the disc, despite having really good music, which I still really love now, was just fucking impossible. It's, It's a really hard game and it never really had the same lasting impact on me that the other two did in different ways then over the years the the thrill of afterburner kind of wore off but i started to appreciate the atmosphere of outrun a lot more as i was growing up and it was something i sort of went back to occasionally it's basically just a racing game that sees you weaving through dense traffic over varied stage locales to hit checkpoints that extend your time so it's kind of classic arcade racing game in that sense But what makes it stand out, especially for the period it was released in, being like 86 or something like that, is A, the fact that each stage, when you finish it, rather than just crossing a line and an announcer shouting, time extended or something like that, it ends with like a binary route choice between like a left or right path, which meant that despite it being a focused arcade racer, it was actually quite non-linear. So you travel through kind of like a pyramid of stages that would mean you could do different things each time you played. And B, the second thing is it uses music in a really, really creative way to give a feeling of progress and journey, because of kind of the length of its compositions, which I'll, I'll talk about a little bit more in a bit. On point A, that thing about the the choice of you know direction. The majority of games of that era, especially in the arcade, and, and especially for this genre like racing, had you essentially just progress along the same route each time. So you'd improve just by rote response and memory. So we've talked before about kind of like action games in arcades. It would often mean like learning where the enemies were going to spawn from, what their attack patterns were, and and how you could kind of counter that. And with racing games, it would mean that you'd play the same stages, you'd learn the corners, the breaking points, racing lines, etc. But with OutRun, because even though each stage itself has a fixed layout, that means it's possible to learn the game, basically because you're always making different selections... When you play it, you, you want to kind of have more of an experience. And I think the majority of players, if, if they sat down in the arcade and put, put money into it, would always be opting for new routes just to see whatever else the game had to, to offer. Yeah. Just to, make, just to make the most of it. That it, It's something that's not going to be the same kind of stale experience, just seeing the same tracks day in, day out. And it gives the game like a layer of exploration and intrigue, I think, which is really weird for, for that genre and, and, you know, it being an arcade machine for the time. When I was at university in my first year, I went to university down in Devon and I had a friend who, if they ever needed like a bit of headspace, would just kind of late at night get into the car and just go out and drive for an hour and just sort of navigating by chance, just learning where things were, learning kind of how things were connected in in that corner of the world. And OutRun feels to me is it kind of allows you to find that same sort of headspace in a way, because even though you've got a timer saying obviously you need to be making some forward momentum and progress... It just lets you explore a little bit. It's you know, it's only small choices, but there is still like an element of player agency that you don't normally have in these sort of games. So there's there's kind of areas of city roads, of beach roads, of desert roads, forest roads, and kind of, you know, everything else in between. And the game has fifteen stages in total, but no matter how you do it, your playthrough is only ever going to let you see five at a go. Yeah. So it's kind of a design approach which keeps things fresh, like encourages replayability and also allows you to kind of set the difficulty of your run dynamically because one path is always slightly harder than the other. So it's really nice in that respect. And it lets you, I think most importantly, control like the atmosphere of your play, which leads really nicely back to the idea of music. Like music, we've talked lots and lots in the past, especially for you, Jonathan, how important music is for a game and its atmosphere and its kind of presence Oh yeah. and and Outrun the original game allows you to choose one of three tracks when you first start the game the evocatively named Magical Sound Shower Passing Breeze and Splash Wave and all of them are really fantastic progressive compositions which are written to be a length that will accompany you across all five stages of a run because they're like six, seven minutes each and what's really nice is because it doesn't have any repetition it's not just like a minute loop that you're hearing again and again it feels like you're actually moving through an area. It's got this idea of progress and momentum. And it reminds me of like when I was a kid, I've got really fond memories of of like taking holidays with family, where we'd have like certain cassette tapes in the car that became then the soundtrack for a particular bit of a journey. Like thinking, oh, I remember hearing that part of that Oasis album as as we drove between, you know, X and Y. <laughs> and although a full play of Outrun obviously doesn't last as long as a trip from, say, Margate to Cornwall. It's got this idea of particular points in the score then becoming the soundtrack to a particular part of your trip in the game, and it, it just works really, really well. And I don't know how much that was really considered when it was developed, or if it's just like a fortunate coincidence that that makes me feel this way now. But it's it's really good. These days, you can get out on quite quite a few platforms. Like I think there's a port on the Switch now that M2 did that's pretty decent. Yeah. But I would recommend if if people can to play it on the 3DS because that was that was another M2 port. Oh yeah. It's, it's fully like 60 frames a second stereoscopic 3D and it's, it's honestly the best showcase for the machine's 3D capabilities alongside Mario 3D Land Yeah, it really does bring the game to life in a way that the arcade machine doesn't like the, the 3D port is is the best way to play it I think and it has a whole suite of options and unlockables to encourage repeat play outside of just experiencing the different parts of the game like I mentioned so you've got things like extra cars with different attributes that, that sort of change your play a bit it even has like ludicrous bits of emulation as to like the original arcade cabinet if you ever see one is like a big hydraulic build that when you turn left and right at the wheel the whole machine moves left and right oh my and the 3ds port has, has a mode where as you turn left and right with a little circle pad the whole screen you know judders left and right in the same way <laughs> yeah all in 3d so it, it looks amazing and they went as far as to, to go to an arcade and record the mechanical creaks from the machine to then sample over the top of the game. Oh, that's lovely. It's like, there's a level of detail that is just unbelievable in, in that port. That's a lovely touch. Yeah, it's really good. And I mean, most fascinatingly, it also has two brand new music tracks that you'd think, like, oh, like, you know, just a bit, bit of extra music, that's fine. But again, they, they were composed specifically for this release using the same programming tools and hardware that the arcade machine was in the first place. So they, they fit in perfectly. Like stylistically, they're slightly different, but they sound Absolutely perfect. And yeah, the the 3DS version, it's it's the best version of of a really stunning game. I I really love OutRun. And it's my uh, 54th favourite video game of all time. Fantastic. So there we have it. Another three games. Firstly,
0: we had... Oh, Super Moopa Shooper. (laughs) Then we had Half-Life. Before finally... OutRun. If you've enjoyed this episode, or if indeed you've enjoyed any of our episodes, please do like it, subscribe to it... Share it it, with your friends, with your family, with your fox. If you want to reach out to us, you can do that. You can find us on Facebook. If you search for our three cents, you can ask us questions that you might like us to answer in a future episode or make comments on this episode. Just make some comments about games in general. Tell us what your 54th favorite video game of all time is. Tell us what your favorite arcade game is. Tell us which life you have (laughs) half-lived. If you want to reach out to us individually, you can also do that. I'm on Twitter at Jonathan Dunn. I'm at Chaz underscore Hodges. And I'm Clement underscore Boo. And please do join us next time for a very special Christmas episode. Now that's Halloween, Chris. (laughs) (laughs) Ho, ho, ho. That's
1: better.